Welcome to Couch Convos, also called Centric Biz and Tech Talks. Today we're meeting with Michelle Davies, Becky Gandillon, and Sean Awasti to discuss how the synergy of people, process, and technology lead to project success. All right, so in the original blog series, the idea of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich was the initiating metaphor of multiple things, diverse things coming together in a synergy and making something great. Just following on that, I want to hear from you guys. What food do you like that's an interesting mix of different things that you'd normally, maybe you wouldn't necessarily think would go together, maybe you do. Tell me what that mixture is and what makes it, uh, what makes it work for you? So one that is pretty unique that I enjoy, I find, is chocolate-covered bacon. Or specifically, there's a shop in Chicago, actually, uh, that makes a chocolate, dark chocolate sea salt bacon bar. And that is amazing. So to me, I like dark chocolate anyway. I like sweet things. But to have that salty, crunchy with the chocolate, that is the epitome of a treat for Becky. Have all those working together. Okay. Michelle, I couldn't tell if that reaction was sort of a... Not getting that one, or or you're just still thinking about it. You need to I'm go still try it. thinking about it, but it kind of reminds me. What is it that the donut with the chocolate and then the piece of bacon across right. the top? And I assume yeah. Becky, that's something that also probably at the towards the top of your list of things that you love to eat because it it combines a couple of your loves right there. Definitely, yes. I'm all about the carbs, the sweets, and the meat. So if you can get all of them together in a way that yeah. makes sense. Those are three of the main four food groups. Right? And for breakfast. Right? I and mean, for the breakfast. donut, you get to eat it for breakfast, and nobody can complain about you having a donut with chocolate and bacon and all this stuff, you know? That's right. Not a problem. So, Michelle, what do you have? What's your, what, what sort of mix uh, do you like? Well, the, yeah, the one that um, and is kind of similar to the peanut butter example, I like peanut butter and potato chips, and I put the potato chips inside with the peanut butter. And I I don't know why, I, it's the crunch, but just somehow that works. And and I've been doing it since I was a little girl. And whenever I just want to give myself a bit of a treat and I want something different for lunch, I'd still pull out the, you know, the peanut butter and throw in a few potato chips in the middle and hey, presto. Okay. All right. Nishant, well, how about you? You know, for me, I think what's what's most attractive is and the, the the healthy healthy stuff here. Okay, guys, I mean protein shake, right? With a unique mix of mushroom, plant-based protein, fruits, which would have blueberries, and I just start adding some mangoes because it's the mango season and all. I think which is good. Milk and almond butter, right? I mean, so almonds or almond butter, depending on that. So, I mean, I have not tried experimenting with putting peanut butter there. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> or potato chips? Uh, yeah. Well, you, are, you guys are way more creative, right? No, but, I, mean, I was going to say, uh, I went with bacon and she went with potato chips and you're with protein, healthy protein shakes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. So, so I got one other uh, more in the lightning round category. So when my wife was uh, growing up, her mother would make peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwiches. So child abuse or a special treat? Becky, what do you think? Ew. No. Okay. Nishant. Uh, ew. <laughs> Michelle. Very non-English. <laughs> do, do the English use mayonnaise at all? Or is that no. a peculiar? Okay, that's no. just this goofy it's American a, thing. All right. It's yeah, but mayonnaise is is definitely an American thing. Uh, but I have to say, I was brought up on mayonnaise, so even though I'm I'm technically English, I still put mayonnaise on you know my my ham and Swiss sandwich and stuff like that. So 
All right. <laughs> okay, cool. So I'm glad we jumped into that so we can see. Uh, obviously, those are unlike things that uh, that are working out. And some of those are a little more traditional. I mean, people processing technology are not quite as far-fetched, I think, to mix. But sometimes people think they are. So, so let's get back into, into work stuff. In the execution of a project, all of us work in project-based things here, what steps are necessary in your experience to make people process technology, make sure they all come into play, they all get applied? It's not just a, a one, you know, a single-threaded thing. Yeah, I think uh, this all comes down to thinking about problems as problems and not how we function in our silos. So whether you're a consulting company or a financial institution or whatever, you've organized your people into departments usually, and that's just how we have to do work. But the mm -hmm. problems that are facing your company aren't, they don't know about those departments, right? That they, they, they don't necessarily function on department lines. And so I think it's about addressing problems at that higher level. And if I wasn't in a department or I didn't know that we organized our company in departments or these various uh, sections or groups, how would I think about solving it? And I think when you take that sort of higher level perspective, it's very intuitive to then realize that, oh, this isn't just an IT thing or, hmm, I'm just building a new dashboard. So this is something like from my data perspective, right? I'm just building them a new dashboard. That's totally not going to impact uh, how people do their jobs or <laughs> uh, give them new insights, right. processes that they might want to tweak or implement, right? And so instead of thinking, well, I'm a data practitioner and so all I do is data, I'm thinking, here's the problem that they need to solve and what is that going to impact and how do we need to look at it to address it? So I think it's that matter of perspective rather than living in our sort of arbitrarily created departments and functions. Yeah, yeah and I tie into that. I think this is about the way that you do business and the way that you should do business in order to stay competitive, right? And it's about creating differentiation within your company. Lots of companies tend to get siloed in terms of their thinking. So one of the things that we really try to bring to the table is to ask questions that might they might consider a little bit more outside of the box, but it's really tying in process, technology, people, and data, right? And I, I look at it as a four-legged stool. I know a lot of people talk about a three-legged stool, but I, I like to talk about a four-legged stool nowadays. And that four-legged stool then becomes your balanced scorecard. So to really help the client mm -hmm. take the conversation up a level and then bring it back down into its components and its pieces so that we can dissect it some more. Hey, Nishant, what do you got to add on that? That's, uh, no, I think you guys have covered pretty much it, but I, I, I'm a big advocate, right? Whenever you're trying to solve a problem, you know, it pays dividend if you start with doing a quick assessment around people, process technology and data, right? I mean, technology is one part, but data is a very important part and people often, often misses it. It helps in not only identifying what is, you know, a single threaded, right? You know, if you're like solving a specific problems, you know, to Becky's point and on data, right? I mean, I had data issues, something is not happening and all. To zoom out and look for, hey, do we have the right people who are acting on those data? Do we have the right processes? Are we using the right technology? Is that the most efficient technology, right? I mean, so having that holistic mindset to come up with some recommendations early on pays a dividend. And I'm a big advocate of that. 
Okay. So Michelle, you just mentioned balanced scorecard. And uh, at one of our recent our spring meeting, we had some strategy guys up there who added not one, but three more legs to the stool, all of which were strategy. So this is sort of like naming, you know, questioning who's the fifth beetle. And, yep. you know, is it George Martin, Billy Preston, you know, take your pick, somebody else. How many additional legs could there be to the stool? But let's talk about strategy, especially. Strategy is often almost the fourth leg on this on this chair. Do you feel like we're, we forgot to invite somebody or is it secondary? What do you think? Go ahead, I was going to say, I see, um, I see strategy as actual the seat versus the okay. legs. Okay. So the strategy has to be the top piece that goes across everything. <laughs> if we're going to keep the analogy of a We're going to wear out this analogy really fast, but let's go with that so analogy, far. Yeah. Like where, um, you know, you can throw in project management too, right? The, a lot of a lot of companies throw in that PM stuff too. Um, I kind of see that as mold glue. <laughs> so, you know, that's how I built my stool at least. But, you know, you definitely always have to keep perspective of the, the strategy and everything that you're doing, especially when you're making change. And, you know, more and more companies, more and more of our clients within Centric are looking at business transformation. And and I know this is one of your later questions, John, is mm. do you lead by technology? Do you lead by right. what? And, you know, it, it's led really by the business. Back in the 1990s, yeah, I'm going to date myself, did a lot of ERPs. And looking back on it, it was driven by IT. And that was the wrong way to go. For me, that's a huge lessons learned. Were we successful? Absolutely. But I, I, I think we could have been more successful if we had looked at it from the standpoint of this is a business transformation versus this is an IT transformation. And companies now are really turning that on, on their head and we're seeing our clients doing this and we're coaching our clients to do this. Of Think of the business first, think of your strategy, think of the business you're in, think of the business you should be in, think about your competitors, how are you going to beat them? And then everything you do under that in terms of changes need to be focused on that. Okay. Nishant, you got anything you can add to that? That was a brilliant answer. No, I think, Michelle, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, the strategy of a company drives a vision. So it's kind of take that seat. And people and processes are the tools to deliver on that strategy. And I consider like technology and data are enablers not the precursors, right? So strategy uh, is the fundamental, you know, more uh, ingrained in the business or customer point of view. How do, how do customer perceive a particular solution? Because if, if every, everything that a company, uh, you know, works on is either products or set of services that it provides to the customer, if customer, if the value is not being generated for the customer, I mean, it would still be a shaky chair, right? It would have the legs, but it would be shaky, right? So you need to make sure customer can sit on that chair, right? So, I mean, if you look at all that, I think it's important to have all the four, five, whatever components come together in a cohesive fashion. And and that's that's what I, I consider a more complete solution to any. any yeah, and it's it's, I think it's fantastic, Nishant, that you bring, bring up the customer because that's something else that I've been seeing as a trend is that a number of our clients are really focused on customer, whether it's customer excellence or customer advocacy. There's a client we're working with right now in, in the insurance industry and the division 
is literally called, you know, client advocacy. And they're focused on what can we do better and how can we get out of our silos and really service the customer. So I think it's it's definitely a undercurrent in terms of a differentiator that a lot of our clients are seeing right now and that, you know, we're assisting them at some capacity. Becky, yeah, anything I, you want to throw into that? Go ahead. I agree. I think strategy is what ties everything together. I think you can still function even within your silo, there's a difference between projects and strategic projects or problem solving versus strategic problem solving. And I think a lot of that has to do with the ability to future state and put yourself in sort of that timeline context. So if I'm evaluating a new data tool for a company, I can just look at their current state and tell them what's best. That's not a very strategic assessment and decision though. It doesn't take into account the people and the process necessarily if I'm just looking at their databases and saying, here's the best tool for you. I could strategically still ignore people in process, uh, but at least look forward and I say, well, your database is growing at a rate of this. And in order for this to happen, to position yourselves, you should probably get to the cloud. And then I'm being more strategic, but really I should also take into account processes surrounding how data gets into that pipeline and the people that are consuming that data and is it being presented to customers. And so it's sort of those layers of the blinders that you're taking off in order to get better solutions. So I need to take off my silo blinders, but I also need to make sure I take off sort of those timeline and context blinders. And that's what allows you to be more strategic when you're approaching that problem. All right, and I can't help myself. I have to summarize. So the strategy is really the rug that ties the whole room together? <laughs> Something like no. that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody watched The Big Lebowski. Okay, all, right. <laughs> all alone on that one. I did. All hey, right. awesome. <laughs> okay, so obviously we've spent some time here talking about how great these things are together, how important they are. Have you guys ever seen a situation where one leg really wasn't as important? in a particular situation, and it was sort of what was that, if you have ever had that come up? No one wants to admit it? I mean, I can go. I mean, I think uh, I, I think there are always situations, right? I mean, like where, where legs are important. I mean, if a client has done a specific overall of one of their legs recently, you may not do too much give emphasis, not too much emphasis. I mean, you still have to consider because all, all legs are important. But I think you can give them a little slack there by saying that, hey, we can do analysis, but we understand that, you know, let's focus more on the other parts which are kind of. So that would be like the way I would think about it. I don't know, right? Guys, what uh, do you have anything else to add there? I was trying to think of examples. And really, I got even down to the specific, like, if I'm building a dashboard that's very people-facing, so that can't be a single-legged or where one's more important. If I get down and I follow that tech-specific path, because that's where my brain goes, where could just the technology be most important? I go all the way down to, like, a coding language, like a Rails upgrade from version 6 to version 7 or something, like, super technical. But even then, like I'm impacting my developers and their people, <laughs> and maybe I need to take that, mm -hmm. and it might impact my recruiting process in the future. So it's hard. It, and it could be that, yes, the, techno the technology is much more important than the other two, but you still can't 
forget about them. So I think there's areas and times when you have to emphasize one or the other, but you I still need to consider them, like Nishan said. I, I, I think Becky kind of agrees. I mean, sometimes it's like who is sponsoring the project also dictates, right? I mean, where you're spending yeah. your time. So we need to be cautious as, as a consulting to to help them see what sometimes are obviously right you know if if you see horse i mean they typically have all these blinders right and and you're like okay you know what i think this is the only direction to go but you need to make them aware of what like becky was saying like recruiting skill development like whole bunch of other things which may circulate that you need to to think about it yeah the blinders well, not paradigm analogy is probably pretty good here because i was just thinking probably more common than one leg not really being as important is the case where a client says, don't touch this. You know, we're not yes. making a technology change. Yeah. Yes. Like really that we can't even talk about. No, you can't talk about it. I mean, we've all had that happen, right? Or you can't touch the organization. Well, they've just left yeah. out a piece. You know, there's a situation right. with a client that I was talking to and they had done the technology and they had, they told out me outright, they had failed. So they wanted to do the people and I'm like, that's great. And I brought up the question of what about processes? And it was like, well, what about processes? <laughs> and, it's, and went through the whole spiel of the balanced scorecard, really tried to then be their trusted advisor to get them think broader. Because there's definitely number of instances where, and that's just one, where you get the blinders on, the client, well, they have the blinders on, the client's looking at one thing and they get very focused and totally understandable. You know, they want to get something implemented and they're like, hey, this is technology, let's go. Or, hey, this is process, let's go. And it's it's important to really be the trusted advisor to help them pull back up and into more that macro view and that strategic view to really think through, well, what, what are you truly trying to accomplish? What are the pain points? What is giving you the sleepless nights? What are you trying to, to do to make your to uh, increase your competitive edge, your competitive advantage, or keep your A talent? And so that's more challenging versus, hey, is it more this than that? Yeah, I mean, every project can be a little bit more, hey, this is more technology and it's behind the scenes, but there's always gonna be process impacts and there's always gonna be people impact and there's always gonna be data impact. And you bring up a good point, I think, going back to our strategy conversation, sometimes you need to put blinders on certain people or projects for certain periods of time in order to get things done in the right order or in order to get things mm -hmm. accomplished. But you have to be aware of where those blinders are and why they're on and for how long. So I think about mm -hmm. things like um, if we do big sort of new data implementations, and it's going to require people to work together on data ownership issues or governance. Um, a lot of times they'll start with the architecture because they think that's the harder piece, but it's usually the easier piece and they'll get the architecture in place and they'll purposefully focus on that. They're not losing sight of the other things. And then they layer on the data governance and the getting people because now they've started realizing the value and now they have more buy-in, but it's strategically staged that way. <laughs> and you're not totally avoiding other legs of the stool. You're just putting them a little bit more in sequence. And so you can have the blinders, but you have to be strategic about when and where they are. So I had a, a project a bunch of years ago. Uh, I'm gonna throw out as the, uh example of a disaster in this area. And I'm going to hear how you guys would try to approach a client 
and and coach them to do something different. Uh, I won't say the name of the client, but it, and it was not with a center client. I'll say that much. But situation was essentially it was somewhere close to Michelle's description of the ERP age. And what the client wanted was essentially what we called at the time a packageectomy. They wanted a new system to go in. And what they were what they wanted was the system to enforce process and policy so that they wouldn't actually have to have a process and policy discussion. They wanted it so it wouldn't be negotiable, and therefore it would force certain behavior on people without that being negotiable either. So they wanted the technology to force the answer on people and process. Uh, I can tell you right now, I was on a project, we took the process answer to this. We did not complete delivering a, uh, <laughs> a new package <laughs> as a result because that was not what the client wanted. But uh, so you're in that client. What do you say to them? Yeah, I, I can start on this one since I'm in the technology space. So this is probably something I would encounter more often are people just trying to plug in a new thing and go and make it enforce other things. Something that we've had a lot of success with, I can give examples from my past, like the one you just gave, John, of they did it this way and it was really bad and here's why, but really I need to introduce them to the experts. And so what we've done at several clients is as just part of regular meeting cadences, at some point during the project, we have what we call sort of a cross-functional workshop. And we pitch it as you bring us in as consultants to give you this broader perspective. And therefore we are proactively bringing you the broadest perspective that we can. And we bring people and change SMEs, we bring process and organizational excellence SMEs, and we just have a very low pressure workshop, one hour, two hours, where it's just them asking questions of us, us asking questions of them. Have you thought of this? What if this happens? A lot of future stating. And usually out of that, it will get them to think at least outside of the box enough. They might, they still might go down their path. That absolutely happens. But it's sort of this low pressure way to start interacting and at least ideating along those other paths. And they're not having to pay for another project. They're not, mm -hmm. but they're getting that impact and that perspective. And it starts turning on light bulbs that weren't necessarily there before. Cool. And then I'd, I'd throw in, you know, from a, a people and change perspective, you know, my knee jerk response as a human being <laughs> is to be told this is the way you're going to do it without input. You know, naturally, I think he, most humans, I'm not going to say every human on the planet, but I think most humans, we don't like change and we sure don't like being told to do something. Um, you think of even y young children, you know, my, my own son. If I tell him to do something, he's going to he's going to ask every question in the sun and he's going to resist. Simple as that. So to put in a system and say, well, this is the way you must do it. And it comes back to, OK, however, how do we get people to adopt and more importantly, sustain the change? Right. It's not just the go live and, oh, we've got 70 percent of people doing it. You got to look six months to a year later to see if they're doing it. But one of the most important critical success factors from a people perspective is what we call broad-based participation. You get people involved early on, which I think ties into what you're saying, Becky, with the workshops. That's a great example of broad-based participation. You get the input 
from the people out on the front lines of what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how can we do it better versus, well, we're gonna put the system in, nobody's gonna do it this way. Because people go, why? My kid asks why all the time, why? Why, 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 why? We're curious in terms of a species, dare I say. <laughs> we ask questions and we adapt, but we wanna understand the why before we change our behaviors and our attitudes and stuff. So it's very important when you have a change like that, that you really do get get people involved. You let them understand the why, and then you let them have input in terms of the what and the how. I think to add, I think very interesting points, both Becky and Michelle. I was technologist to start with, right? Started my career as a software developer and, and then graduated into the other things. I personally think that, you know, if you try to speed one particular part, whether it's technology, people, or process, it would just yield the ineffective results faster. To give you an example, right? When you're automating a bad process, right? I'm a process person. Let me talk about from the process perspective. If you're automating a bad process, you are just speeding up the bad results faster, right? <laughs> so instead, Instead, if you think, step back and say, hold on guys, right? I mean, let's look at this process a little bit holistically. And the process is obviously, it's not like stand by itself. It has to be done or executed by people. And people use this technology to deliver on it, right? So everything is kind of tied together. And unless you know how effective that process will be, you need some KPIs, data, and all that to go along with it, right? So everything, right? I mean, whether it's a data problem, you need like, okay, how are you creating that data? Where are you coming to that data? Who is affecting that data in between? Similarly, change from change perspective. Okay, this is the process. You're thinking about it to change it who would impact, who the actors are, who the stakeholders are. Everything is so tied together at the moment that it would be very difficult to split, right? Any of these. And so always think and push back the client. And then it's up to them, right, to discount it. I understand. Thanks for bringing it to attention. Let's focus here for now. All right. So let's talk about uh, metrics. So Michelle, you led in earlier by saying that uh, you considered a fourth leg of the stool to be balanced scorecard, which is, you know, a, a refined well, actually and special... the whole stool is the balanced scorecard. The oh, the whole scorecard. stool is the balanced scorecard. Okay. So the thing about, I mean, a balanced scorecard, I would consider it to be a special case of, you know, the, the best of metrics to give you a holistic picture. And that's, that's really where the question was going here, which is, I think metrics tend to tend to skew towards technology. Our people ones tend to, you know, people metrics tend to be, you know, user adoption, which just means how many users got converted. It doesn't mean that they like it. And process, I think, is the in KPI most business it. context, I think we don't do a good job of measuring it. I mean, if we were industrial, I mean, people are measuring, you know, throughput of industrial process better. But anyway, so th that's just my observation. So how do we get those metrics that are more meaningful in the people and process area? and build them all into that scorecard. 
Well, it's interesting you bring up metrics because from a people and change perspective, there are two types of metrics. And when I talk about a balanced scorecard, I'm actually not talking from a, at, a, at a metric standpoint, though that would be you know one of the mm -hmm. components into it. Uh, a balanced scorecard to me is is really the, the the bigger elements, the process, the technology, the people, the data. Right. Mm -hmm. But from from a metric standpoint, there are two types when we look at the people. One is the change metrics. So these are changes. Are people adopting? Are people on board with the change? Are their attitudes changing? And then from there, are their behaviors changing? And that's one form, right? And we can do those through surveys throughout a project, you know, what we call pulse surveys for a temperature check. Those are important, very important. There's an and there, though. And the and is the business metrics. And this is where I think it ties more into more of the process side of things. And then the, the technical ones should tie more into the process ones too, which is operations. What are the operational changes that we're trying to do, right? Is it we're reducing the time to get a widget out the door? Is it that we're reducing the number of people that it takes to get a widget out of the door? And, you know, Becky can probably come up with a hundred other fantastic metrics tied to this from a data analytics standpoint. But those are your long-term metrics. Those are your business metrics that you're going to drive to beyond the end, you know, the go-live date, the launch date, you know, beyond the three months later date. Those are the ones that really make the most difference long-term. And so it is very important to figure those out. You know, a lot of clients don't take the time to really think those through. Oftentimes they don't even know where to start in terms of well, what categories should I even look at? And so, you know, it is important to take three steps back because, you know, there, there's a, a, a common, again, ERP, sorry, I'm, I'm from an ERP era. <laughs> there are statements of, well, ERP are only 30% successful. Okay, what was your success criteria based on? <laughs> right. And oftentimes they can't tell you what the success criteria was based upon. So how can you say it's only 30% successful? The same thing goes with, with all the changes that we put in nowadays, right? Um, you know, 20 years plus later, we still have those challenges of what does success look like? Well, how have you defined it? And it has to be quantitative, not just qualitative, because if it's qualitative, everybody's going to go five different directions with it. Right. And you're not going to have a consistency. And then, yeah, people are not going to feel like they were successful in terms of spending, you know, the, the, the funds that they've spent for the engagement at hand. Mm -hmm. Becky, I'd love to get your point of view because you're, you're a data analytics expert. <laughs> I think it's we'll get to in a shot. We'll get to you. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Eventually. Uh, I think where I struggle coming up with metrics is when it's just a room of data people or just a room of not data people. And so this gets into data literacy and data storytelling, et cetera. But if I'm if I'm in a room of just data people and I'm trying to come up with success metrics, they're just with the well, our runtime is less than 30 seconds, right? And so I constantly have to ask why. So if I'm if I'm in a room of data people, I'm just constantly asking <laughs> why. And then that gets us into slightly more business-facing metrics. If I'm in a room of just not data people, then I get metrics like everyone loves our product, right? And so then it's like, a, okay, but how? How do we know that? So then I have to ask all the how questions to get them to functional metrics. So when you can get all of those people in a room together to come up with those metrics on that balanced scorecard or wherever, that's where you get more of that synergy happening because the tech people throw something out there 
and the process people or the non-tech people, they'll know sort of the why and they'll do that back and forth themselves or vice versa. And so you get into things that are measurable, how do you know, but also impactful, why do you need to know it? And so you need both of those things to make those metrics something that's impactful. And sure, sometimes you're gonna have things like our average dashboard processing time is less than 30 milliseconds or whatever, just because you need that and that's a technical requirement, but those aren't really your success metrics. And so figuring out that balance is important. All right, Nishant, what do you got for us? Becky triggered something in my brain just now, right? So <laughs> the, golden, the golden circle by Simon Sinek, if you remember, there are three concentric circles the middle, the bullseye is why. Why are we doing some things? The one after outside is how are we going to do? And then the most like less relevant from customer standpoint is what? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, if we if we really understand why are we trying to do, even if we are trying to measure, you can measure everything if you put your heart and soul to it, right? But what are you trying to achieve? Why? Why are you doing it? And then once you have that answer, you can go to how and what. I personally think, right, you know, from say process standpoint and other things, metrics is as good as measured in two terms. One is effectiveness and one is efficiency, right? Effectiveness is how can you produce a result that is what we want, right? How effective it is for the customer. If that means it's effective, right? And you can measure it by surveys and a whole bunch of other things and all. And the next thing is the efficient, how efficient your system is. So process typically, whenever you talk about process excellence, operation excellence, we talk about efficiency, which is like how capable are we of producing the desired results without wasting any material time and energy, right? So if we look at it from that angle, I find Effectiveness is more of a customer metrics and efficiency is more of an internal metrics of how the process is, is done. So I, I think it's important to look at it from, again, back to the customer point of view and company or client point of view uh, of the internal processes. And right. I'd like to throw in, it's important that you have leadership agree in terms of the language that's used yep. and the metrics that are covered. Yep. And it has to be written down. The number of times I've had a leader go, oh, well, this is what I meant. And then I turn to another leader and go, is that what you meant? And it's like, well, not really. <laughs> yeah. So it's very important to take the time to get that top leadership on the same page in terms of what the metrics are, what language you're gonna use, how you're gonna track those metrics, and then how you're gonna ultimately leverage the output from those metrics. Right? right? How are you going to make your decisions? Because there's still a lot of with, and, and we all do this, we go by our gut and not by the numbers on the sheet. Yep. Or we look at the numbers on the sheet and we go, oh, that's nice. And we might have a discussion about that, but then we don't use it. So you've really got to tie it in and leadership has to drive the, the, the metric discussion and leveraging those metrics for, for the power of good, so to speak. So. I've got another question here, and it's a little bit off topic. It, it it barely connects, but I can tell I've got the right people here to answer a, a puzzle that I have had, which is we're still talking about metrics. So a lot of times people have the gut and they go, the project's not going well. The metrics may say, 
you know, you're making incredible success. Like I had one client a bunch of years ago where they basically, the way I put it, they bet the company on the initiative. If the initiative failed, the company was gone. And they were succeeding. They were building up business. They were good. But everyone still had this mindset, oh, project's not working out. And I'm an optimistic person, so my I'm normally looking at it of how do you get the metrics to build back the optimism or the positive story. But it, I can go the other way of just trying to match reality. How do you do that? How do you how do you bring those things together so that people are reading the data story? They're not just reading the oh gosh, you know, I get complaints. It must be going badly. That I mean, you used the operative word there, which was story. A lot of people can't relate to data or they'll have their own narrative in the back of their head that forces them to interpret the data in a specific way. And so I don't think it's about forcing the data to tell a story that it's not telling, mm -hmm. but having the right people that can provide that interpretation and that narrative and to guide that along to help people understand, no, really. So if I see a metric that's like, uh, we've reduced our processing time by 60%. If I'm not a data person, I'm like, okay, well, it's not 80% or whatever. Like maybe I have something right. in my head, our company's still screwed. I need to go find another job because they're not making enough progress. If you can contextualize it for me and say, now we'll be able to do this X times faster and our customers will have access to more like I need the I need the impact of those metrics. And if those metrics are ill-defined and I can't see that impact, then I need someone to guide me along what they mean so that it matches with the reality that I'm seeing and experiencing and help me look forward to the future. So finding that story and weaving that through, I think is hugely important. I think something else that's important is, um, and this takes me back about uh, 20 years. There was a fellow who I worked with a long time ago with, with a data warehousing project and learned a lot from him. And with this particular client, we separated out what were the standard core metrics and then what were the supplemental metrics that folks had needed to have at their divisional, the department level. Mm -hmm. And so there was the overarching, this is what leadership's going to go with, eight, 10, whatever it is. Um, and you know these are the ones that were gonna be really strategic and drive the company. But then there were other metrics that needed to be worked through that could be used more at that departmental level. And I think there can be times when we miss, we don't listen well enough of, hey, I need this metric and here's why. Now, should you necessarily do that with every single metric that a person wants? No, but if you've got a group of individuals, a department that goes, hey, this metric's really important to us and here's why, then we should be making certain that they get those metrics. So, and if they don't, then of course they're gonna say, yeah, you know, I didn't get what I, what I needed out of this. There's a lot of listening that has to be done and questioning of well, why do you need this? You know, how are you gonna use this? And and so th that that's something else I would throw in is is that strategic metrics versus the division departmental metrics that they need and making certain you've got a, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. All right. And I would like to bring a little softer touch to those, right? I think what you hit is very hard hitting, right? I mean, and accurate. I have seen in my experience that the metrics can go from red to orange to green very quickly, right? I mean, this is a rag. Based on 
who is reviewing it and what the culture of the company is and how the leadership is kind of viewing the reds, right? If they're not open to an idea of seeing something that they not like or they're scared or something like that, you can easily manipulate it to tell the story that you want, right? It's it's uh, ultimately comes back to, you know, few folks who controls like PMs or something, right? But we should not discount the leadership who is looking at the strategic measures that Michelle talked about and the operational measures that Becky talked about, right? I mean, who is seeing it, how seeing it, how open they are, what the culture is, and how everything is kind of tied to tell that overall story and you know how does it generate value to the customer and all that kind of thing. If you don't, if you have a closed door culture, if you have a top down relationship, if you have a dictatorship, right, or whatever, right, in that case, everything would be irrelevant, right? Whatever numbers you produce, whatever dollars you say that, hey, you are 150% ROI, but you know that it's going down south. So the more open the leaders become, the more effective everyone who is generating becomes, and it brings the culture of truth, openness and also integrity within the company. Yeah, and I would tie to that. I mean, and I've seen a lot of clients go, we can't have this as red. Red is yeah. failure. Right. That's right. Um, and, you know, it's the F word. We can't fail. And that looks bad without leadership. And I prefer, I try to retrain them to think of as red as we need to focus on this. All hands on deck. Right. And yes, that means leadership will pro probably need to get engaged at some level whether it's to make a decision, to release more funds, to bring in more resources, to just say, hey, we're doing this. There isn't anything wrong with being red. What you want is to be able to get out of red as quickly as possible. Yeah, um, yeah. you want appropriate so escalation, just, not, yeah, it, not, the, not the punitive escalation. measures, which I've seen in yeah, some cases. And it's, yeah. yeah, we got a fire over here, guys, and we got a, all hands on deck, we got to put out the fire. Yep. Right. So it's, we're, it's keeping it in oh, perspective. Yeah, we're getting near the end of time here, but I so last little thing here. Uh, we had an email this morning about the uh, centric standings on March Madness. Becky, you were tied for eighth. So tell us, people, process, or technology? What went into that? <laughs> no, now you're going to embarrass me. I also <laughs> saw that email and had totally forgotten that I even submitted a bracket. So that tells you how much effort I put into it. Some technology, well, just stats. I'm really not that much at all. Like I know that some upsets will happen and I know closer numbers are more likely to be upset than <laughs> further apart numbers. I will also say the school that I picked to be the overall winner of the entire tournament got knocked out in the first round. So uh, it's a lot of luck that went into, uh, I'm a big football <laughs> fan personally. So I, I mostly do fantasy football and do all of my data stuff around that, but I at least know enough about basketball that I can, I can pretend. Okay. <laughs> Michelle Nishant, did you do a bracket for the March Madness thing? Not for the March Madness, but I had a phenomenal season for the football where I ended last. Right, so <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty good at the, the bracket, you can tell, right? All right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for sharing that. Um, so we'll wrap up here. I really appreciate your time and everything. I think it's a great conversation. 
This has been Couch Convos. Thanks to Michelle, Becky, and Ashant for joining our panel today, and thank you for listening.